Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, with this explosion of interest in botanical-style aquariums, there's been a tremendous influx of hobbyists who've never worked with stuff like leaves and seed pods and twigs in their tanks before. It makes a lot of sense. You know, we've been told for generations that these things can create, you know, challenging environmental conditions in our aquariums, which, you know, are a little tricky to manage. Now, I've spent the better part of the last two decades doing all sorts of crazy experiments with botanicals in all of the last five years or so, evolving tan in aquatics and sort of trying to advance the state of the art of the botanical style aquarium approach in general. It's been a gratifying several years. Now, yeah, I love the natural botanical style blackwater and brackish, etc. aquariums, and I'm totally obsessed with utilizing botanicals in all sorts of tanks. They look amazing, they create a functional ecosystem for all sorts of fishes, and are utterly incapable of doing everything that we seem to want them to do. Yeah, that's correct, incapable. With all the cool tanks we're seeing coming up and a growing global interest in blackwater, botanical style aquariums, and so forth, we're seeing a lot of discussion about the functional aspect of botanicals, which is great. Perhaps most astonishingly though, we still see like these self-proclaimed yet well-intentioned experts, many of who simply have never worked with this type of stuff before, personally, ascribing all sorts of characteristics to them, both good and bad, and alternately, you know, alternatively, you know, proffering unsubstantiated claims about the benefits they can provide, as well as unfounded warnings about their dangers. It can be a real head-scratching experience perusing these forums sometimes. The spread of misinformation, unintentional or otherwise, is something we have and will continue to work very hard to clear up. It's not simply because we sell botanicals, that would be a cop-out. It's because we're on the cusp of an aquarium movement and are helping to foster the development of technique for these aquariums and hoping to dispel many years of misunderstanding and mystery for the benefit of the entire aquarium hobby. I consider it as much of an honor as it is our responsibility. And with all the discussion and the armchair experts comes more than just a little confusion, a lot of opinion, and some occasional misconceptions about what botanicals can and cannot do for our aquariums. Yeah, it's confusing. In this little uh, podcast today, I just want to focus on what botanicals cannot do. Yeah, you heard me correctly, what they cannot do. But let me clarify. Let's talk about what they can't do as completely as many hobbyists tend to assume that they can. We're just going to look at like four things, but these are topics which seem to come up again and again and again and again. So I think they're definitely worth a closer you know, look yet again. In my humble opinion, it's very important to clear up lingering or even emerging misconceptions about the use of botanical materials in aquariums. Since our self-proclaimed competitors seem more intent on selling stuff than sharing information about it, once again, we'll take the reins on this stuff. As in so many areas of the hobby, the more people become involved in the process of utilizing botanical materials in their aquariums, the more we break through and clear up some of the confusions about them. Now, it's not like anyone was intentionally trying to mislead people over the years. I think it was more of a matter of us just making a lot of assumptions and drawing conclusions from widely varying sources, often with questionable validity, experience, or accuracy, or worse yet, regurgitating second- or third-hand information from tangential topics. Not a great way to help foster a hobby movement, right? 
So let's get down to it. Let's see if we can correct some of this stuff. In no particular order, here's some of the concepts that I think we need to address again. Number one, botanicals cannot soften your water. I literally, if I had a dollar for every time I've you know fielded this question, I'd be like super rich. Perhaps this is the most misunderstood thing of all about botanicals. Maybe, I think it is. I think it's easy to see how this one got started too and tends to hang around a bit in forums and such. When you think about it, most botanical materials contain tannins and humic substances, which can drive down the pH in water with little or no carbonate hardness. And of course, the tinted, soft, acidic water in many natural habitats often has an abundance of leaves and botanicals present. So I think this gave a lot of hobbyists the impression that you could simply add some of these materials, leaves and botanicals, etc., to your tap water and create, you know, instant Rio Negro. Now, sure, humic substances, tannins, and other compounds which color the water will be imparted to it when you add botanicals, regardless of the hardness. Yet that's really only half the story. Botanicals themselves cannot reduce the hardness of the water. This can only be accomplished with reverse osmosis or ion exchange, which is a process in which calcium and magnesium ions are exchanged for sodium or potassium ions. So reverse osmosis is a water treatment process which relies on a membrane, a porous membrane, which has pores large enough to admit the water molecules, yet hardness ions like calcium, carbonate, magnesium, etc., remain behind and are flushed away by the excess water. The resulting product water is thus called soft water, free of hardness ions without any other ions being added. There is no botanical leaf or substance you can add, natural or otherwise, directly to your water to soften it. So just because you toss in a bunch of catapa leaves, alder cones, or whatever in, uh, into your water filled with unaltered tap water, it doesn't mean that the pH will plummet to Amazonian levels. The impact of these materials on pH is limited in water with significant carbonate hardness. And this dovetails nicely with our next topic. Tinted water is not necessarily acetic. Once again, it's another assumption that no doubt arose from the aesthetics of black water itself. And it's easy to see how this one got started. Much like the misconceptions that botanicals soften the water, it was often assumed by hobbyists that the brownish tint imparted to the water, you know, by the leaves and botanicals somehow implied that it's soft and acidic. I mean, if it looks like the real Negro, it must be just like the real Negro, right? Uh, no. Yeah, once again, there's more than meets the eye. Botanical materials, as we've mentioned a gajillion times here, contain substances that can reduce the water, uh, the pH of the water, uh, in water that has low to negligible carbonate hardness, and the degree which is based on that, and many other factors. However, the tannins, which are the substances which tint the water, cannot overcome the calcium and magnesium ions and drive the pH down significantly in water with high levels of these carbonate uh, of, of these carbonate hardness constituents present. It's simply putting more materials into the water, which is often detected by TDS meters in our aquariums. Color is simply not a reliable indicator of the pH or other characteristics of the water. And as we discussed before, there are natural aquatic habitats, such as the Tapajos, which essentially have clear or greenish water, yet it's rather soft and acidic. Now, final thought on this topic, if you want to create soft, acidic black water conditions with botanicals, you need to invest in a reverse osmosis deionization unit or use RODI water in your aquarium. Okay, moving on to our final, you know, misconceptions here. Uh, number three, catapa leaves can cure fish diseases. Well, this is one of the faves that's been perpetuated for years, often by people who sell leaves online and elsewhere. Hey, I guess I'm in that group, but I don't perpetuate this one. It actually has some degree of validity to it. However, it's not a damn cure-all, so get that out of your head once and for all. 
It's been known for many years by science that botanicals like catapoles and others have substances in their tissues which do have some potential medicinal functions, like saponins, phytosterols, punasalogens, etc. All these fancy names that sound really cool, and they're often bounced around in hobby sites as the magic elixir for a variety of fish ailments and maladies. Now, I can't entirely beat the shit out of this idea, as these compounds are known to provide certain health benefits in humans. And for a long time, it was anecdotally, uh, anecdotally assumed the same for fishes. And believe it or not, there actually have been scientific studies that show benefits to fishes imparted by substances in catapa and other leaves. In fact, I stumbled across a university study conducted in Thailand with tilapia in a fish farming situation, which concluded that catapa extract was useful at eradicating that nasty exoparasite, uh, trichodona, and with the growth of a couple strains of aeromonas and that were also inhibited by dosing catapa leaf extract at a, con- a concentration of about 0.5 milligrams per liter and up. In addition, the solution was shown to reduce the fungal infection in tilapia eggs, and I thought that was interesting. And it is now widely accepted by science that humic substances, such as those present in catapa leaves and other botanicals and soils, are thought to have a wide range of health benefits for fishes in all types of habitats. We've covered this before in a guest blog by a gentleman by the name of Installer. Look it up in our in our uh, blog and the, and the tint uh, and the implications for the hobby and for the industry are really profound. Although they're not the cure-all that many vendors, again, have touted them as, leaves and other botanicals do possess a wide range of substances which can have significantly beneficial impact on fish health. It's long been known that fishes from many blackwater environments seem to have little or relatively little resistance to many diseases present in aquariums when they're first imported. Anecdotally, a lot of fish importers and breeders report better acclimation periods and fewer losses of, you know, blackwater origin fishes when they're held in aquariums which utilize catapa leaves and other botanical materials. We talked about this with Mike Tucanardi a few weeks back. Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. Is it a cure-all? Definitely not. Mike will be the first to tell you. Now, I would definitely say that utilizing botanicals and leaves in your aquarium can offer some potential health benefits to your fishes. However, once again, I'd stop well, well short presenting them as some sort of magic elixir that can cure fish diseases with the reliability of like a round of antibiotics or whatever. Rather, I think there are some possible prophylactic health benefits for your fishes that can be achieved by utilizing, you know, the leaves and these and other materials in your aquarium. I would not, however, utilize leaves and botanicals in aquariums as the sole means of curing or preventing fish diseases. However, in my opinion, when fishes are kept in a botanical style aquarium in which the other basic components of aquarium husbandry, you know, i.e., water changes, careful stocking, good overall maintenance are employed, uh, they could provide a more healthy overall environment for many species of fishes. Something to think about. Final item we're going to cover today. Botanical style aquariums are difficult to manage. As botanical materials decompose in the aquarium, you know, they, they degrade the water quality. We hear that a lot. This is another popularly embraced idea, which I can't entirely brush off because there is some validity to it. And it would be completely irresponsible of me, of me to dismiss this outright. Sort of goes hand in hand with our first myth, but it deserves a little bit of its own discussion. Let's face it, when you have materials of any type breaking down in the aquarium, they're part of the bio load, and that requires an appropriately sized population of beneficial bacteria, and in our case, fungi, to break down these materials without adversely affecting the water quality. And this is not some abstract concept that's unique to our area of interest. It's a universal constant in aquarium keeping, right? We've written about this idea many, many times here and and discussed it here in this podcast. And we've talked about the ecosystem aspect of working with this type of aquarium quite a bit. In addition to husbandry, part of the game is accepting, indeed encouraging, the idea of having these natural partners, the fungi and the bacteria, 
uh, take, playing a good part in maintaining a healthy aquarium. Now, that being said, I would be you know, utterly irresponsible if I could said that you could simply add a ton of this stuff to an aquarium, specifically one that's been you know, in a stable existence for some time, and not be concerned about any impact on water quality. That's part of the reason why we repeatedly plead with you to go slowly when adding these materials to an established tank and to test and gauge the impact on your water quality. Going slowly not only allows you time to react, it gives your bacterial and fungal population the opportunity to grow and adjust to the increased bioload. Now, these organisms can go a long way towards creating a stable, healthy, botanical aquarium environment, but they can't work miracles and they can't do it alone. You gotta use some common sense. And of course, common sense husbandry procedures like water exchanges, use of chemical filtration media, uh, etc., give you an added layer of insurance. A healthy dose of common sense and judgment goes a long way towards a successful outcome. Now, I'll be the first to state it. In fact, I will guarantee, which is something I rarely do, that you will kill every freaking fish in your tank if you throw large quantities of botanicals into an existing aquarium without any regard for what they can do, how they function, or what's required of you to manage a system. But, you know, basic understanding of the habitat you're trying to replicate, the nitrogen cycle, pH, and aquarium management practices are all essential. You can't just freelance this stuff. Don't fuck with nature. She'll kick your ass. That's a fact that we all know this. Simple as that. It's not pretty. But I think we can all understand that. If you're not up to the pleasurable effort of reading up on this stuff before you attempt a botanical-style aquarium, you have no one to blame but yourself when you fail. Simple as that. So pushing back against some of those long-held misconceptions about this botanical-style aquarium stuff will hopefully encourage the uninitiated to give this whole twigs and nuts thing some due consideration. And we as lovers of this type of system need to do our best to share the realities that we understand from personal experience and to encourage others to give them a shot. We have to share the good, the bad, and the ugly like I always do. I can't help but reiterate once again that Blackwater Botanical-style aquariums are no more difficult to set up and maintain than any other type of aquarium. They do require understanding of what's going on and what's involved, observation, and they need upkeep. And if you're not careful about following good common sense procedures, you can occasionally have a bad outcome. Shit happens, and it's not always good. That's part of the game. It's the reality of forging into new territory, but contributes to the whole body of knowledge, you know, that's the aquarium hobby. Okay, so that's my top four misconceptions about the botanical-style aquarium. Of course, there are many, many others which we, you know, see arise from time to time. But those are probably the big four that we seem to hear a lot about. And as we've seen, these are not entirely erroneous. However, it's important not to make assumptions or blanket assertions about botanical materials and botanical-style aquariums and to assume that they're miraculous things that we can add to our tanks to do all this smashing, successful stuff. In fact, we still don't fully understand all of the effects, mostly good, but possibly some not so good, about the use of botanicals in the aquariums. We have a lot of instances of seemingly spontaneous or rather rapid spawnings of fishes which have otherwise eluded our efforts shortly after introducing botanicals to their tanks. Is that a result of some substances present in the botanicals? Is it a lowering of the pH in a softer water aquarium? Is it those humic substances? Is it shock or some type of stress response? Or could it just be a coincidence? It could be all of the above. However, I must admit that the number of times we've seen and heard this happen to us and others leads me to believe that something literally is in the water. Exactly what, of course, and how it influences these events is still yet to be fully determined. And isn't that just the kind of stuff that keeps hobbyists coming back for more? Searching, experimenting, and tweaking? Yeah, it is. And with more technique than ever starting to replace this whole dump and pray method of using botanicals and leaves in aquariums, we're seeing more and more interesting results that simply go beyond just enjoying the unique aesthetics offered by botanical style aquariums. 
we're starting to see some interesting effects on the health and well-being of many, many species of fishes. We're learning about the value of replicating, to some extent, the natural conditions which our fishes have evolved under for eon. And perhaps most important, we're taking a good long look at many aspects of those precious and often endangered natural habitats. This search for knowledge and appreciation of nature will not only benefit the hobby, but quite possibly the ecosystem of our home planet as we gain a better understanding of the dynamics of blackwater habitats and the need to preserve and protect them as like real havens of life. Wow. And we're also having fun too, aren't we? We're learning this stuff together. Breaking through the barrier of assumptions and hyperbole and misconceptions and fluff that's often clouded this tinted world before we all came together and made a real effort to understand the function as well as the aesthetics is a big deal. Keep sharing your experiences, both good and bad. Stay studious. Stay excited. Stay open-minded. Stay skeptical. Stay resourceful. Stay careful. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tannin.